you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help creative people thrive. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with Creative Pep Talk and my creative work by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AndyJPizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. What up, y'all? It's the philosophy series, the creative philosophy series again on the podcast. This is part three. We're going to tackle another creative pep talk virtue, which just means uh, what is the, you know, what are the underlying theories that are prevalent in this podcast that uh, are kind of my core beliefs of what it takes to get to the creative good life, so to speak. Uh, the creative transcendence, if you will, like a lot of the philosophical thinkers, uh, a lot of spiritual teachers. I noticed this trend where they all have their different opinions on what does it take to cross over into, you know, this part of your life that gets bookended by before and after. So before you transcended and after you transcended. And I feel like, honestly, that there are... I I don't think that I've completely entered transcendence by by any means. But I do feel like I've had a handful of experiences that really uh, marked a before and after in my creative career. And a lot of them are due to specific 
core values that I learned and implemented. And that's what we're doing in this series. If you're into this episode, go check out part one and part two. All right. Think about this for a second. Think about this. Think about if Apple, you know, the company you heard of them, uh, just think about if they thought that what they did was make computers, right? What a, uh, what a missed opportunity, right? If they thought they were a computer company and uh, when things got tough in the 90s, they buckled down and they reinvented themselves and they came out with this breakthrough product, it was a different kind of computer, which they'd done already five or six times at that point. No, that's not what they do because Apple is not in the business of computers. Apple is in the business of thinking differently about technology, right? And because of that, they've reinvented themselves to have these landmark breakthrough moments that have uh, taken their company to insane heights. They have like $260 billion in cash. In the bank, that's not how much they're worth. And I believe that there's an underlying principle here uh, that you could attribute this success. And I think if you get this one, this might be, maybe every episode what I'm gonna do is uh, <laughs> say, this virtue is even more important than the past two virtues. But I think part of the reason why that is is because as I continue to re reflect and dig deeper and go another layer uh, in this path, I feel like I'm getting deeper and deeper into the foundations of uh, what it takes to build a thriving creative career. And yes, we talked about altruism in part one. We talked about, uh, in part two, we talked about mastery. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the virtue of reinvention. And there's a bunch of different ways to approach this, but I think that it is paramount because there's only one constant, right? Change. You might have a little voice in the back of your head, no matter how well you're doing, uh, whether you're killing it or you're just getting started, uh, there might be a voice in the back of your head that says, what if everything in my industry changes and I'm left in the dust. Here's the truth. Here is a fact. Everything in your industry will change. You don't even need to waste time worrying about it. It is going to happen. And if you do not master the art of reinvention, you will be left in the dust. And I think there's an answer other than being afraid that is actually really awesome and powerful and interesting. And we're going to go into that today. But first, I just want to uh, just uh, convince you that this is a requirement for a lifelong thriving creative career. And so... I part the the first step to embracing the art of reinvention is to accept 
that what you do is not about what you do. If you haven't, you've heard me talk about it on the podcast before, but I'm a massive fan of this concept. Uh, it's the start with why. It's Simon Sinek. You can go check his book out, but you could also just go look at his TED Talks and, and talks where he goes into deep detail and he's got tons of interviews out there. And it, it's just this idea, you've probably heard of it, where they say that most companies get hung up on their what. We make computers. Instead of what's the real, what's the really important thing that you have to get is why you do what you do and why you do what you do. I would argue you should get so romantic, philosophical, spiritual. It should be a spiritual quest of self-actualization that you go on throughout your entire life. And this is, this is a process that I never tire of, of doing is trying to articulate and understand what is it that I'm doing on this planet and take all of these clues and map this giant web and get further and further and trying to understand uh, why is it that I do what I do? And it's more important than I do illustration or I'm a podcaster or I'm a speaker. And if you can, the, the, the core principle behind mastering the art of reinvention is embracing your why and getting completely unromantic about your what, which is extremely difficult for creative people because we see ourselves as what we do. It's that whole, uh, we see ourselves as human doings instead of human beings. And I want to, I want to encourage you to go back to who are you? Uh, what, like just what, uh, <laughs> trying to think of the right language to say this, but, uh, what are you at your core that is just your being? before it manifests into a what, until it manifests into the industry or market that you're making work in, uh, before it manifests into your skills as a painter or a musician or a whatever. Because I think we wanna find our identity by what we do. And if we do that, if we tie our, uh, our, our, uh, our boats to that, we will sink eventually. And actually what you're doing when you're doing your skill or doing your craft, and it might not even be, you know, you, that you have to reinvent yourself from a painter to a filmmaker, but it might be you reinvent yourself from a painter who does lettering to a painter who does portraits, you know, in the next three years. And so there's giant leaps and there's small leaps, and we're going to kind of go through all of them. But I want to explain to you, like, uh, I was on this journey and I was very obsessed with finding my title, my what, finding what is it that I do that's just going to make all the pieces fall into place and everything's going to make sense and I'm going to transcend to the highest heights and then I won't ever have to think about uh, reinventing myself again or ever think, I'll never have to look for what it is I do again. And uh, I feel like I spent the first seven years of my career doing that. And I had a bunch of different moments where I was like, wait, no, it's not design. It's illustration that I do. And then I kept doing illustration. I'm like, this is it. This is my what? And then at the end of that cycle, I had done this talk and it was a very like transcendent feeling to me doing this talk. And uh, I thought, maybe I'm not really an illustrator but I'm a speaker. 
And so I started the podcast. I was, you know, I was already had an illustration career at that time, uh, but I thought maybe this is an even higher transcendence. So I started doing, uh, focusing on talks and doing the podcast and all that stuff. And I realized that um, I was coming up with all of these analogies for my talks and uh, and in my podcast. And I realized there's something about the analogies that is like the secret sauce of what I do and how I think and what I am at my being. And I and so in that time where I'm thinking maybe I'm more of a speaker than an illustrator, I heard a speaker call his analogies illustrations. And I was like, huh, that's funny because I used to be an illustrator and now I'm doing and these verbal analogies, which are also called illustrations. And I just had this aha moment where I realized I was doing the same thing in my talks that I was in my illustration. And I started to ask myself, what is that thing that I'm doing? And I realized that what it was, was thinking about big esoteric intuitive theories, things that are abstract, like taking an article that's just words. So by nature, because it doesn't have any pictures, because it doesn't exist in real life, it's much more abstract than watching a film. It's much more abstract than a picture or a diagram. So as an editorial illustrator, you're taking this abstract theory and you're giving it a face, a visual face, and that's an illustration and it illustrates what you do. And in the same way, as a speaker, if you have a new concept that you want to speak about and it's uh, unfamiliar and it's abstract because it's a theory, you want to tell a story or tell an analogy or a metaphor that helps it click in those people's minds and bring this uh, this kind of esoteric thing down to the earth so that it can be communicated. And I realized I do the same thing in illustration as speaking and I realized what it is that actually uh, makes me different. And this is my current suspicion. It's going to evolve. It's not done. I'm going to keep doing it because uh, this is a lifelong pursuit. And But what I realized is I have my head in the clouds. And that's probably the most, uh, that's probably the, the closest thing to understanding my essence as a person is I like to keep my head in the clouds, keep my head in the heavenly realms. What gets me turned on into this like crazy passionate, uh, like weirdo that you're hearing right now is when I get my head in the clouds or I'm having a conversation with somebody who wants to talk about quantum physics or spirituality or the, all these different weird ideas. And we're up, our heads are in like, uh, you know, the fifth or sixth or seventh dimension trying to like work out these weird ideas. And I hear I'm introduced to a new thing in that dimension. My heart sets on fire in such a way that it's overflowing and I've got to figure out how to share it with other people. And that's when the illustrations come in because it's not just easy to be like when I was, when I had my head in the clouds, I saw this weird thing. If you ever, have that experience, you're going to try to communicate this thing with other people. And they're going to be like, yeah, so, you know, there's so many cliches out there. There's so many higher truths that have been told so many times that they don't, they're not fresh. So when you communicate them, they're just old. It's like fish in water. It's like, they can't see the water. They don't even know water exists. 
And so for me, I've become obsessed with using visual illustration and using verbal illustrations and analogies to take these, uh, these weird, uh, esoteric things that are so prevalent in our lives that we don't, we've grown accustomed to and have become old hat and paint them in a new light that helps that fresh aha moment happen in somebody. And nothing, nothing gets me going like doing a talk and communicating some kind of an analogy and seeing a physical response in the audience of shaking their head or doing a, oh, or something like that. That lights me up to no end. And I've realized that I don't care how I do it. I don't care what I make to make that happen. I just want to make sure that I'm making something that is conducive to the current climate of my industry or in the creative world. That I'm taking that core essence, that why, and being really romantic about that, as you can see, and that's why I went into such detail about it, is just to kind of, um, not because you need to give a darn about uh, my why, but just to kind of have an illustration of what I mean by getting romantic about your being and your essence and, and who you are as a person and, and what makes you special and being completely divorced and unromantic from uh, what you do with that being and being strategic about, yes, maybe you're a trained painter so that, that's a thing that you don't want to leave too quickly. I agree with that. But maybe you need to use it in different ways to stay relevant, to stay uh, flowing into the society. And I think uh, one of the things that happens is that, you know, last episode we were talking about these artists that do the peaks and valleys um, and in, in end up crashing and burning, especially these artists that start out with crazy rocket fueled success. If they get that crazy beginner's luck and go viral and get the lot, win the lottery of the art world and just have insane success on their first kind of endeavor with whatever skill, whatever, what they're making, what ends up happening is they never learn the art of reinvention. And at some point that rocket is going to crash because there's only one constant and it's change. And in today's episode, I want to encourage you to forget the idea that you're in the computer business and realize that you're in the business of thinking differently about technology. And if you learn the art of reinvention, it's the closest thing to creative career security that you will ever find. And so in this episode, let's talk about how to do that. All right. So we have established that uh, one of the core principles of a thriving, transcendent, creative career uh, is this idea of reinvention. And, you know, at the core of reinvention, I think there is uh, this particular practice, this particular skill that you need to figure out. And honestly, honestly, this is straight from inside my heart. I couldn't believe this anymore if I tried. 
when I meet creative people and they know this little thing, my heart is put at ease for them. And I think, oh, bless your soul. I know know you're going to be fine. I know that because you have this thing, you are going to be fine because you've figured out this. And so much of the podcast is about this idea. It's called breaking in. This is why I talk about breakthrough all the time. But this idea of breaking in, I think especially in the creative world, nothing is harder to do, nothing is more essential than breaking in to an industry, breaking into a market, breaking into a genre, uh, going from an outsider to an insider, getting through the moat and the castle wall into the inner circle of a market or industry and being taken seriously as a game player. If you have ever figured that out, or if you have figured it out and actually done it to multiple industries or multiple markets, you are on the friggin' path to having the secret sauce, the most important thing for a long game success. And when I meet creative people that have figured out how to get a record deal at some point in their life, or they figured out how to do illustration uh, for the New York Times or for an actual client, uh, they, they have been, they've got in. I'm, there's a part of me, especially if they've done it multiple times to different things, uh, I'm like, well, you'll be fine. You're going to figure it out no matter how things change, no matter how, what, how the demands in the industry change, you're going to be able to, uh, if you do this thing, these things that we're going to talk about, you're going to be able to ride every wave. And, and when, it, when the wave you're on crashes, you're going to be able to get on the next one. And it's going to, it eliminates my fear for those people. And, uh, and it's not an easy thing to do, but I think there are uh, some core ideas that if you embrace them and work them, in, there's, I think there's some really simple things that you can do every day in your life that will help prime you to master the art of reinvention and, and prime you to have continual breakthroughs and break-ins. And so if you want to be a transcendent creative, you've got to be the break-in artist. And I thought about it through the lens of a heist movie. You're the guy who masters how to break into uh, a a building and and get the, uh, (laughs) I'm like struggling to get the thing with the stuff that has value, I don't know, money, jewels, whatever. But you're the guy who's mastered the art of the break-in. You know all of the different security systems. You know how to get past the guards and get over the moat. That's what reinvention is all about for creative people. And so here's how I think you go about doing it. The first thing that you've got to do, and this thing, baby, I'm excited about it. I'm like, I almost want to just cry about it. Not really. That was a fake cry. Sometimes I do almost cry doing the podcast. That was a fake one. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm so excited about this idea because most people think that the first thing that you've got to do to um, stay relevant, stay, uh, you know, primed for reinvention, to never be left behind in the dust. Most people's advice would say, you got to stay afraid all the time. You have to constantly be in fear that 
that you're going to get left behind. Therefore, you're always hustling. But actually, I think fear is in your amygdala, I think, in your brain. And it's the animal part of your brain. It's not the creative part of your brain. I don't think it's the transcendent part of your brain. I don't think you can hear the intuition, the higher heavenly, weird part of the human brain that makes us this special animal. Uh, I don't think you can hear it when you're afraid. And so I never liked that answer, although I saw uh, the kind of the logic that led people to think that. And it kind of didn't sit right with me. And I was like, staying afraid? That's what we're going to tell people? No, it doesn't feel right to me because the people that are in that transcendent place of creativity, that are in that like uh, higher level of uh, really digging into their craft, digging into their art, digging into who they are and that self-actualization, they don't seem to be in a place of fear 99% of the time. And I actually think that fear will negate your ability to do all the other important core values that we're talking about. And here's what I think a much, much better option, easy option, which just takes a tiny bit of effort. And it's this, stay curious, always be curious. And I feel like even that is a cliche. So I just want to break down exactly what I mean, because it's a pragmatic, practical thing that you can do. And it's something that I do all the time I, I, that I'm obsessed with uh, keeping up to. And it's this idea of um, never getting cushy, never getting comfortable and getting apathetic about creative stuff. And I think there's this really uh, easy way to fix this is let your cur- curiosity frolic where it wants to. The only thing I want you to be afraid of in your creative career is that you've lost your curiosity. You're no longer pulling threads, finding new stuff, getting excited. Let me just say this first of all, there are possibly, probably, who knows, maybe even more than 11 dimensions here. We can only sense five of them with our senses. I have a theory that says, you know, there's this article on Wired. (laughs) There's this article on Wired that says uh, that that we think that our brains are capable of 11-dimensional models in our in our mind, which who knows what the heck that means. I have a theory that when you're dreaming, you're just your consciousness, like you're not your body. You're just in your mind. And since you're in your mind uh, and you're just consciousness, you're just electrical energy in your brain. And if you're energy, then you have the ability to move at the speed of light and transcend time and space. And if that kind of jazz doesn't get your heart racing, I don't understand who you are. But my point is this. Yeah, we're stuck in our five senses. That alone, that alone is a crazy place to be. Think about how many freaking new species we see every day. Think of all the different places we've never been. Think about all the places in space, the physical realm that we've never explored. Even in your five senses, if you have a lack of wonder and curiosity, open up your dang eyes, man. There's some wondrous stuff. You need to go out there and find it. Find something that piques your interest. Beyond that, we've got 11 other dimensions in our mind that you could be picking up on. The one thing you need to be thinking about is, am I curious? And if not, I need to stay on a mission to find something that makes my heart flutter and keeps my mind interested Find a thread that we can't help from pulling. And if you find that thread and you're constantly pulling these curiosity threads, you will always have fresh material. And one of the things that happens as a creative, if you just get stuck in a rut doing your what, whatever it is, 
It sounded like a weird rhyme. You're stuck in a rut, find your what. If you do that and you dig too deep and now you're just a painter painting and your whole life is about painting and your paintings are about paintings, it's not that interesting. It doesn't stay that excited, uh, that exciting very long. And what ends up happening is you're giving, 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 giving out of your heart all of this stuff, giving yourself onto these paintings until you start rehashing the same stuff over and over again because the only thing you're taking in is uh, the paint. So you paint something and that you take that painting in and it goes back in. It just becomes this like uh, weird over-recycled garbage that goes in and out, in and out, in and out. There is, I think there's some interesting stuff that happens with that for a season where you're inspired by your own work. I think that is, there is some cool stuff there, but ultimately what ends up happening, you end up rehashing the same thing over and over and over and you're not introducing any input. You're just doing output until you burn out. That's one of the reasons why I think people burn out is they don't stay curious. And uh, even for myself, one of the ways this looks is that, um, you know, when I, 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 I try to be hyper aware of when, of the, that raw passion and curiosity and, and stay honest with it. So one of the things I realized is, you know, when I was, uh, you know, when I was, uh, in college and, in uh, early twenties, even I was obsessed with being at bookstores and discovering new books. And I was, it was my transcendent place. It was my favorite place to be. And in the past couple of years, I realized, uh, I don't enjoy it in the same way that I used to because, um, for a whole bunch of different reasons. But one of the ways of staying curious is accepting what you're no longer curious about and saying, I'm going to quit. I'm going to make space in my life. I'm going to quit doing the same things that I used to do that I enjoyed and figure out what I enjoy doing now. So I think one of the things we try to do as humans, we try to stack up as much pleasure as we possibly can in our current moment. Uh, at the cost of our time and energy, instead of being honest with, hey, that thing I used to be interested in, not so interested in anymore. Set it aside and go find the new thing. What's the new place that I can get lost in, in, in time and space? Same goes for, you know, when I'm listening to podcasts or the types of books I'm reading or, or the music. Let that curiosity be your guide and explore different areas, especially if they're areas that nobody else seems interested in. That's why sometimes guilty pleasures are a great thing to pull out. Even in music, one of the things I've done as I got older is I realized early on in my, uh, in my life, I had this, um, you know, in my early 20s, late teens, I had this social imperative, this, this thing that said I needed to be up to date on music or I'm not going to be cool. And that, that weird fear led me to uh, be obsessed with hearing new music. I was enjoying the music. There was a whole bunch of other factors going on in there, but ultimately there was that weird drive. And as I got older and I had kids and I don't care about being cool so much anymore, that was gone. But I realized I don't want to be a person that, that gets stuck in the same crappy, you know, music I was listening to 10 years ago. I'm going to actively pursue music and find stuff that I'm curious about and dive deep into that stuff. And so now I just have a little bit of me that's reserved for effort to stay curious. When I can feel myself getting cushy and getting comfortable and getting into a place where I'm just in the same rut of watching the same shows, listening to the same music, looking at the same art, doing the same things that I used to do and used to enjoy, but don't actually enjoy anymore. 
I just try to throw myself into the deep end, whether that's travel, new experience, different podcasts, whatever it is. And I go on a mission to find that thread that's uh, gleaming and stands out and, and is begging me to pull it. That's the number one thing you've got to do to stay relevant is stay curious at all costs. And uh, I have a whole other list of things, but that is the number one thing. So whether you're a person that is afraid because you feel like you've never really done anything that's of much worth and you're afraid that you're going to live your whole life without actually making an impact or doing something that feels worthy of, of being alive, or whether you're someone 25 years in your career uh, afraid that your best days are behind you, don't get, don't be owned by that fear. Don't allow yourself to get into that tight place. We know our best work and our best we, we know that we blind ourselves and we are unable to see the path, unable to do our work when we allow ourselves to be these balls of anxiety. You cannot create your best stuff from that place. And it's just not a place that I want you to be. And doesn't staying curious sound so much lighter? Don't you want to put down the weight and the, uh, the entanglement of that anxiety and fear and that FOMO that just crushes and you are in a hamster wheel. It can feel like tons of progress, but you're not getting anywhere because you're running around like a maniac. And so I hope that this episode is a catalyst, is a breakthrough. I hope this stuff broke in to your mind and you give up that tight, anxious fear for the light, human, beautiful thing that is curiosity. Doesn't that sound way more fun? I love when something's piqued my curiosity. So go out there, let go of the fear. Go find something that is worthy of getting excited about and trust it. First thing you got to do is stay curious. Second thing you got to do is trust your intuition. You ask yourself, you listen to that little nudge that tells you that the milk might be going bad, right? Like, you know, when you smell the milk, basically all you're asking yourself is, is there a smell? Because milk doesn't have a strong smell. If it has a smell at all, you need to listen to that. And I think if you're a musician and you're in the height of this genre, this movement of chill wave uh, in, in you know, 2005 you, or 2006, or so, I don't know why I want to get the year right, but you're in the height of this thing happening. You got to trust it when the milk starts to maybe smell like it's going a little bit funky. So you've got to trust your intuition with, is the thing that I've been doing and pursuing, is it kind of going sour? And then also trust your intuition where something in you says, huh, I haven't seen that thing before. Or, huh, that uh, coincidence. I saw that 
that thread, that, that thread that I've been curious about pop up in two different places. Maybe it's not just an anomaly. Maybe it's a movement. Maybe it's something I need to investigate further. So trust your intuition. Listen to those little internal nudges. Take action when you start feeling them. Don't wait until it's not intuition. It's a big gong in your industry saying, this is the new thing by that time it will have, uh, the opportunity will have been lost. So trust your intuition when something's gone off and when something new is starting. For me personally, in my creative work, just to give you an example, um, I I didn't really do the lettering thing. Uh, I didn't go deep into that world. There was this, if you're not familiar with the visual industry, the illustration industry, you know, for the past, I would say, uh, probably 10 years, even if you wanna go back to the early days, um, and the lo-fi lettering stuff before it started getting sign paintery, fancy vector, blah, you know, swashy calligraphy, all that stuff. It started in, uh, I think it started back as far as 2007 or something. Uh, and this lettering craze took over. And I was most interested at that kind of time. Uh, I like lo-fi stuff. I like that, that vibe um, a little bit more than the highly polished stuff visually. Um, but... Uh, I didn't really go completely, I didn't ride that wave. I didn't call myself a letterer. I didn't do that, but I did mess around with it. I messed around with lettering enough to where if I needed it in my work to say something, I would throw it in there. Then the past couple of years uh, with doing the podcast and having so much to say verbally, I decided that my illustrations needed to be able to say something too. And I started integrating lettering more and I started learning some of the basic ideas and craft behind lettering um, because I didn't want to become a lettering artist. I didn't need to go to uh, all of the workshops and change everything that I was doing because I didn't want it to be the main thing. But that curiosity uh, and that newness of I need to explore this thing, I started integrating that into my work. And the new thing that I felt like is happening, and then it's been confirmed by two or three other people in the past six months, was that maybe a new wave that's about to to, to come to fruition or is at maybe even starting to be at its peak is this idea of combining illustration and lettering in a really... Uh, integrated way. And so that was this little thing that I was like, I noticed it um, in my own work first that that combination of things seemed to be getting a lot of uh, attention and client work around it. And then I talked to a few people and I noticed there was a trend and that intuition, I was smelling the milk, smelling something was off, smelling something new was brewing. Sounds all kind of gross when you're talking about it in that language. But, uh, but I trusted it. I started diving deeper into both sides and integrating and, and thinking and learning some of the rules of lettering so I could be more proficient at that too. And that brings us to number two. Number three, which is research. Once you start finding one of these trends, finding one of these threads, uh, trusting your intuition, dive super deep. Don't just be, I think uh, one of the things we want to do is we get, we're so obsessed with this idea that we're supposed to think outside of the box because we're creative people. But let me just say this, know where the freaking box is before you start thinking outside of it. 
what is the box? Understand it because if you don't know where the box is, you might be in it or you might be so far from it that nobody has any context. Understanding what the box is is essential to doing meaningful work. And so that's one of the things you got to do. If you find this thread, you can't just be like, well, I'm going to be a completely different type of letterer, uh, illustrator um, or whatever. You got to understand some of the core principles. And that's why I started taking some online lettering courses, uh, keeping my nose to the nose to the ground. That's a new phrase. My ear to the ground, keeping my nose sniffing out <laughs> like a beagle. I was trying, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, but I was, uh, I, I was trying to just kind of integrate and learn that box of lettering so that I could combine it with illustration in this different way. And, uh, and I think you've got to go all in and really research and understand the box and understand this thing uh, and go through that time. And then the fourth thing you got to do after you understand where that, how to fit in, in that category, in that new genre, in that, um, whatever you got to ask yourself, well, why do they need me? What am I going to bring that's different to the table? Uh, and this is, for me, it looks like what I think's interesting about um, getting to be a player in that small little wave of integrated illustration and lettering, which I'm looking for a word that combines illustration and lettering. An uh, uh, illustra-letterer, I don't really like when... <laughs> when there's like a forced thing like that, but whatever. This idea of combining these two things, um, I wanted to ask myself, well, why am I particularly positioned to dive deep into this realm? And I think what it was, was that I had a um, less of a knowledge of lettering. So I wasn't super deep into that space at any given time, but I did spend the past 10 years trying to develop my illustration chops, trying to develop my conceptual editorial chops, trying to uh, chops, 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 lots of chops. I tried to chop it up by doing, uh, finding and exploring my own personal style and illustration and drawing, um, working on those skills. And I think in the lettering space, I, when I start entering that, I'm bringing, uh, all of that to that space that is completely different. Like most people that really know lettering, aren't as versed in illustration as they are lettering because they've spent their time over there. So I felt like I was adding something different. So you've got to ask yourself, what are you doing that's different? Uh, and, and then also I just have a billion other things that I think about uh, what makes me different. And, and this idea is about who are you on the team? Why do they need you? to break in like into this house. So are you the uh, explosives guy? Are you the, the guy who knows the blueprints? Are you the guy that can fit into a weird box and move in? Asking yourself what makes you particularly fit to break into this new thing. And then the fifth thing you gotta do is identify the weakest link to the house. How are you gonna break in? Where's the, where's the weak point where there's no cameras? And for me, this always looks like, you know, when I wanted to get into band posters and doing uh, band poster design, I asked myself, I, the best way to get in was that if you went for the really top bands that had tons of followers and tons of listeners and they were on Sony records, there was no email address. There was no way of getting in contact with those people. And you could also make band posters for your friends, but it was unlikely that that was really going to get break you into the industry. And so what I did, I was trying to look for the weakest link. So I looked for who is the most critically acclaimed 
uh, band, who are the bands that got best new music on pitchfork.com, but had the least amount of following that hadn't really picked up because those people had very few gatekeepers. Those were the people like Kurt Vile that had his, at the time, uh, was really critically acclaimed and also had his email address on, on his website. And so I contacted him, got to do a poster for him. And so the next thing you got to do is when you're thinking about reinventing yourself, when you're thinking about entering this new territory is ask yourself, how do I strategically find the weakest link so that I can break in? And six, we're almost, we're going to wrap up these, we're going to wrap up these numbers. There's so many numbers in this episode. It's making me nervous. I don't like numbers and we're almost got, we're going to have seven numbers by the end of this podcast, but I'm going to make these last two ones so fast. Six, make a game plan blueprint. You got to have blueprint to break in. You got to have a strategy. You got to have a personal project. You might say, I'm going to email a thousand people, whatever it, you have to have a plan, a plan of action. If you are haphazard about it, if you're, if you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to ride that wave. You're not going to get everything situated to position yourself to really own that wave and get on it so that it's, it actually makes a dent in your career. And I've been blown away by the times when I thought I want to do this thing in my career, this next thing that I want to be about, and I, and I really owned it and really strategized and I really worked and invested time and energy, I'm blown away by the power that that really has if you do that level of intentionality. And so if you say, oh, I want to grow my podcast, instead of saying, well, what could I do? I could be on other people's podcast and sending three emails and be like, yeah, okay. And then move on to the next thing that you're curious about. It's not going to make a difference. But if you say, what would really help to grow the podcast would be on a thousand other podcasts or be on a hundred different podcasts, then say, I'm going to email a thousand people and literally put in the time and invest, take a plan, make a plan. And then seven is execute it and, uh, and, and go all in. Zig Ziglar who uh, I love because he had all these crazy stories and analogies, which, um, you know, speaks to my heart as this uh, verbal visual illustrator that I am. Um, Zig Ziglar, he was like a public, he was like a, uh, a speaker, motivational speaker, salesman guy from like, I think the 70s. And he has this thing called priming the pump. This thing is so true. It's a, it's, it's a thing that I have seen in my career and I, um, that's why I'm constantly trying to convince people to uh, prime the pump with a personal project you, or any endeavor, any different thing that you're going to try to break into, you have to prime the pump, which means when you're old school days priming or you're pumping the, the, wa- the water pump, I guess it's called, but you know, those things where they're pushing it up and down with their knees are going popping up and down. I'm doing it now, but you can't see me cause it's a podcast, but you're p- pumping. And, uh, when you're doing that, it takes like a hundred pumps to actually get any water coming. But once the water comes, it's flowing baby. But the first hundred pumps feels like there's nothing happening. And that's called priming the pump. And Every personal project I've ever done, I've had to pump, prime the pump like crazy. I think the first 100 days of my 260-day uh, uh, nod project where I do a new character every weekday for a year, the first 100 days, I got like zero to five likes on Tumblr on each post. Like nothing happened. And then 100 days in, a blog picked it up. And that was a good day. And, you know, 
150 days in, I got a job. A, a client came along and wanted me to do something like that for them. 180 days in, and Tumblr features it on the radar. It was Super Bowl, and uh, I was I was pretending to watch the Super Bowl and noticed that this post went from getting like five likes to getting like 7,000 likes. And uh, that's priming the pump. So you, you have to do, you have to stay curious. You have to trust your intuition. You've got to research. You've got to know the rules. You've got to be unique in that space. You've got to make a plan. You got to find the weakest link. You got to make a plan. And then you got to execute with precision and intentionality and prime the pump, even when it seems like nothing's happening. If you want to be there before the lightning strikes, You've got to get there before the storm. And when you're there before the storm, you kind of feel like Noah uh, building the ship and everyone's looking around like, what are you doing, man? Why are you exploring this territory? There's no storm. You're going to have to be willing to prime the pump in a way where maybe your followers don't get it. They don't see it. They're not seeing what you're seeing. They don't know the lightning's going to strike. If you show up If you wait and you don't execute and you don't prime the pump and you don't pull these threads, you're going to show up when you hear the thunder. And everybody knows the thunder is (laughs) sound and not light and light travels faster. So by the time you hear it, it's in the past. And when you show up to that spot, there's going to be a bottleneck situation. There's going to be hundreds of people already there trying to bottle that lightning. And so you've got to prime the pump. So if there's one thing that you take away from this episode, it's this. Do not be afraid. Don't be so afraid. Fear tricks you into believing that it's helping you, that it's keeping you safe, that it's keeping secure, you secure. You know, I, uh, I understand that. I get in my own fear waves. I think, oh gosh, there's too many podcasts or there's too many illustrators or there's, oh, there's a new illustration movement. There's a, what if I don't know how to blah, blah, blah. All that junk never helped me. I'll tell you what it does do to me and I've done it a billion times through over the past 10 years is it gets me trapped in FOMO, fear of missing out. And when I have the fear of missing out and it keep and it's that becomes my guide, that becomes uh, the person leading me, I go down uh, 15, I try to go down to 50, I try to go down 15 paths at the same time and end up stuck right where I am. Because that old proverb says you the the man who tries to catch two rabbits uh, at the same time, catches zero. Because you can't go in two different directions at the same time. And if you let fear be your guide, you're going to run around like a chicken with its head cut off and never actually accomplish anything. Staying in fear feels productive. It feels, we, we feel safe when we're in our fear which is this counterintuitive craziness. I think on a deeper level, just ask yourself how many days in your life have you wasted 
being afraid of things that never come to pass, things that you were convinced were right on the horizon that never happened. I guarantee you, like one out of the of, of 5,000 things you've been afraid of came to pass. And when it came to pass, it, was, it wasn't as hard as you thought it was going to be to going to be. Sometimes one out of 5,000 times that things you're afraid of does show up and it's harder than you thought it was, but all of the worrying that you did leading up to it didn't actually prepare you. You could have been in the present moment doing what you needed to be doing instead of living in in a possible future and trying to prepare for that moment. And uh, I think that your fear, uh, there's a part of fear that we need. It keeps us safe. It keeps us from, you know, um, getting hit by a bus and all that kind of jazz. That's fine. But I think uh, if you walk around in your creative career and you let fear be your guide, you lose your humanity. The thing I believe so deeply that I, you know, I think creativity is the, is a magical thing. It's a thing that I think it's so wrapped up in the imprint of the universe, the thing that makes us human, the thing that makes us special, our real transcendence, I think is deeply tied up with our ability to create things. And when you're stuck in fear all the time, You're in the part of your brain that's a monkey. And you might as well be walking around as a monkey trying to make stuff. You're never going to get to that transcendence, to the highest part of being a human. And so here's what I want to say. Security is an illusion. There is no security. There's no telling what's going to happen ever in your entire life. No Civilization has ever known what's going to happen next. But I will tell you this. The closest thing to security is mastering the art of reinvention. Mastering uh, the one constant, change. Knowing how to roll with change. Knowing how to adapt. If you embrace and embody this principle, you will have set yourself up to be as secure as you possibly can Uh, and you can let go of all that fear. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you have a friend that you know is feeling stale, that's not excited, they've lost their spark, they've been beaten down by the world. This is the second time I've pretended to cry in this episode. Uh, this moment and then for some reason during the ads (laughs) I don't know anyway if you have a friend that is struggling to um, you know they're losing their passion for their creativity this could be a good episode to send to them and encourage them to stay curious and get back on the path of relevancy and and excitement about their work Um, if you know someone who might be struggling with that consider sending this episode to them in an email or via social media. Um, Maybe have a following that you think could use this. I'd appreciate it. I appreciate um, all the love and support you guys give to the podcast. Uh, Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for the theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari for all the other tunes other than the ones that 
are soon to be provided by Alex Sugg, who is our editor and also um, uh, makes some fancy tunes for this podcast. Uh, Thanks, Alex. And thanks to all of you guys for listening. Until we meet again, I hope that this episode is like creative caffeine that lasts for a week. You know, 24-hour pain relief. This is however many hours there are in a week. Creative caffeine. And then next week, I'll give you another jolt. Uh, (laughs) What am I talking about? Anyway, until next week, stay pepped up.